Welcome to the Paradise Paradox. My name's Kurt Robinson. My name's Aaron Battle. And so today, what are we going to be talking about, Aaron? Today, we're going to talk about an old mate of mine. <laughs> no, not really. Wilhelm Reich. An old comrade of yours, you might say. Comrade. <laughs> I, I can't believe you haven't heard of him. Like when I first mentioned him to you. Oh, no, I had, I had heard of him, but um, my knowledge was so limited. Like you said his name and I, I knew the, uh, the organ energy thing, uh, some weird stuff about um, trying to control the weather. And that was about the extent of my knowledge. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I got to admit, I haven't um, until like the last 15 minutes uh, looking at, you know, some of the details like where he's born and, and you know, what, he, what kind of background he had. I think I really only focused on, uh, you know, one area of his, his, uh, of his experiments. I can see he had, you know, various political views and, uh, you know, some apparently radical ideas. Uh, yeah, some radical ideas. I don't know too much about it, but um, he did come across something he described as orgon energy, mm. which uh, I think that's what we're going to talk about today. So, you know, he, he coined that term. Mm. And... Um, Basically, what it is, is he, he began to notice an aura around certain things that, uh, that had life in them. So he noticed that plants, uh, human beings, animals, and you know, even the planet has its own like, energy aura. And these auras he could see with the naked eye or he felt them or what was his experience? Well, that's the thing. He didn't document that he could, he could see them. He, he was just aware that, he was, that, they, were, that they, were, they were there. And okay. what, I mean, the, what he, uh, the way he came to that was his early papers were actually on the, uh, he was actually studying the, some psychological effects to do with the, what we now know, uh, now we now know as the like Kundalini energy. Mm. That um, that energy he he called life force energy, right? So Kundalini energy is the energy described in yoga that's uh, normally pictured as a coiled snake. It's uh, it's supposed to be a, a tightly wound spiral at the base of the spine, and when it's released and combined with the the energy at the top of the head, the Chahasrara chakra, uh, an, an intense energy is supposed to be released and, and this person that, that does that will be able to perform great feats. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's basically what he was, he was measuring. And he was saying that if this energy is too high, then, you know, where, where it's going to have a different psychological effect on the person. And it's important to keep this at like a, I guess he, he explained that you need to release this Kundalini energy through, uh, through the, the action of, of an, of an actual orgasm. And right. so that was Kundalini energy being at the base of the spine. It's related to the genitals and yeah, sexual energy and orgasm. So he was able to, uh, he, well, his studies were measuring this level in people and measuring their, their sexual frustration and how that affected their mental um, capacity or, you know, where he, one of his hypotheses were that that level getting too high would actually lead to mel uh, mental illness if it wasn't taken care of. <laughs> I'm picturing this, uh, I think it was Da Vinci drew this diagram. He was speculating about how the um, male sex organ works. And he, uh, the way he drew the diagram was that the brain was the center for producing semen and would somehow travel down the spine and be released <laughs> with this is kind of the reverse thing. Can you see how, can you see how that would work? I mean, like, like energy wise, um, because apparently yeah, all the energy comes in the top of our head you know, it goes mm. through, it, it turns through the seven chakras mm. um, and then you know, it's built from the base. So, I mean, I can understand how he came to that idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe uh, Da Vinci was uh, doing some yoga in his backyard. Some downward dogs. Yeah. Upside down. 
Up dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Up dogs and sun dogs. Well, uh, hot dogs. Um, enough with the um, with the Doge. <laughs> I the thing was with all this um, with his inventions that were his inventions were to attract energy, mm. um, which the energy he called door, which could have been you know, this capital D O R, that could be positive or negative. Um, Why was it called door? Let me have a look. He named this life force energy organ energy. Mm. So it was the, the OR was for organ, and the, the positive and negative was this energy exists all around us all the time. Ah. And it's just, it can be switched on or off or negative or positive, depending on what it's been used for. Okay. Uh, it's called deadly organ radiation. Um, so he called it door. Mm. Why it was deadly, I'm, I'm not too sure. He had these pyramids that he invented, mm. and the pyramid was made out of a, 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 like a resin product and metal filings with, sometimes you see them with crystals and things in there. It was a combination of, uh, of organic and inorganic materials, and he, the studies that he did, and I think the, the sensors he had were like um, electromagnetic sensors, and he could see the patterns and the waves, how they react around these, these units that he created. Um, when he, he had a sort of sensor which could detect the sensor. Yeah, he was, he was sensing it. There's quite a few videos of people okay. producing these and reproducing his work. All right. And this, this is a, like a kind of electromagnetic energy or something completely different? No, I, I think it's, it's exactly the same thing. It's, a, it's electromagnetic energy. But um, it just, at the time, it's like he didn't know what he was, he was dealing with, so he was able to call it whatever he wanted. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah, like, like most science. So he, he named, I mean, it's... it's Orgon radiation. So uh, he mentioned that. Orgon. So org, orgon is like org, the org part is short for orgasm, right? And the own it sig signifies that it's kind of like a unit of energy. Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he he described it as like well later he described it like being chi or prana, the energy that all that all life holds. Uh -huh. And uh, his experiments that he that he did were with I. I can't remember how he actually came up with these things, but he, he's got various experiments that are for uh, attracting the door and then making that like positive. So whatever the, the deadliness of this radiation is, it's like anti-radiation units. So he was able to attract energy and let's not say good energy, bad energy, but just radiation energy itself. Mm. And he was able to make it positive that life could actually, well, life attracts it and could consume it to lift your level of, of organ energy. So, I mean, there's several experiments where, I mean, online where people have put these units next to plants or next to vegetables and they, they watch them perish very differently. Mm. And you, you've tested that as well? Well, I've been trying to because I've got some pineapple plants and yeah. I've got these like little organ pyramids and one row has them and one row doesn't. Mm. Um, but at this stage, I'm trying to see whether they, whether they grow quicker or whether they grow bigger. Like mm. it, it's only been running for the last week, so I guess I can, I can cover that in more detail later. Let's see how it goes. But I'm trying to think how long do you think I need to notice a, a difference? Because a pineapple takes, you know, it takes a bit of time to grow. Yeah. But that's saying you would notice a difference over a couple of months. Okay. We'll see how that goes. Mm. But uh, no, with, the, with this organ energy, um, you see them, you can go to health food places and you can see they've got little ones that are like anti-radiation units. And it's exactly the same, exactly the same thing. It just, it's like a, a resin with filings of, of like copper and uh, Wait, where do you steel. find them? Well, you can get them from like, uh, I, I saw them at the health food places in, in Bondi in Australia. Okay. They're for sale. Okay. They're like five bucks and you can stick them on your, on your phone to like protect you from the radiation that lingers around those units. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, that, that was a simple experiment of his or product, but he also made what he called a, a organ accumulator. Right. Which was like a, a big wooden box that he would actually go in and sit in. Uh, he said he had a little light in there because it was fully shut and he would read because he would sit there for hours. But the box itself was made up of, of layers of wood, steel wool, another piece of wood, some resin, some steel wool. Like he made like seven layers thick of like the same organ style pyramid material, mm. like uh, yeah, organic, uh, organic non-organic and, and put them all together. 
the materials would attract them and then the organ, the positive door would be inside. So then it'd be like super life force energy and he would go and sit in there. Mm. I have to make one of these. <laughs> I've been meaning to for a while. Um, but yeah, who's got time to, to convert your closet into a positive organ accumulator? <laughs> um, a scientist by the name of uh, Patrick Flanagan, he created one and he, he documents how he turned his closet into one and uh, apparently he was quite sick with, uh, he was like heavy metal poisoning. That level of sickness, doctors basically said, you know, you're, um, you know, your, your years are numbered from now, you know, this is not something that we can get rid of. Mm. And he talks about a combination of um, some mineral salt based drink that he's created uh, and this use of this organ accumulator. I'm picturing the scene from Be Kind Rewind where Jack Black gets magnetized from from uh, being, being against a electric fence or, or in, against a transistor in a power station and then the uh the the young indian girl gives him a a bunch of salt in a bucket and he drinks it and then pisses out um radioactive waste and he's 100 percent good <laughs> so that's basically how this stuff works yeah I mean, yeah, just Google uh, Patrick Flanagan and that's exactly what he tells you. <laughs> like, this stuff's magic. I'm not sure which Indian town he founded in, but, you know, he was basically on his last legs and he, he describes this, uh, this drink that he's created and the organ accumulator gave him back all the life that he needed to, to pass these heavy metals and regenerate himself. Hmm. Um, he also came up with another experiment called the Neurophone, which was like... Uh, like speaker magnets on the front of your, your forehead mm. and by passing frequencies through the magnets, you're, you're able to activate your, your frontal lobes. And he talks about a few secret projects he's working on using that technology to communicate with, uh, with the dolphins. Okay, but how do I didn't see the connection really? Like you just, you just put these things on, flick the switch and, and you're like, hi flipper. Like what happened? What happens after that? If I could do a do flipper you... noise, I would have. I, just... <laughs> I don't know how dolphins. No. Well, okay. He. Um, I mean, please check out Patrick Flanagan. He he describes. Like, he explains the whole process in, in more detail. But what? Okay. It, but what it is? It's like the frontal lobes of our mind aren't activated. Mm. It's like he says that you can achieve the activation of the of your frontal lobes equal to what a, a monk would have after 25 years of solid meditation. And by passing these frequencies through your mind, it's like it just massages the plasticity and all of a sudden it just turned on. And uh, the, the, the level of, of a change in his brain wave was able to, I mean, there was some kind of instrument involved and he was able to build like 25 words with a dolphin. And um, his aim was to get to 500 words because apparently that's the basis of, you know, a, a pretty much full language. So um, the program was closed early and, you know, for what he says, it, it's, it was a little bit upsetting for him. But um, that's still technology that was invented, you know, a little while ago that, mm. that just isn't out, you know, isn't like public knowledge. Like yeah. Maybe all farms should have these big organ pyramids in the middle of them giving their plants life force energy. Yeah, well, I have seen some greenhouses uh, shaped like pyramids and actually, I think I've seen somewhere they they actually try to use some type of energy like that. Like not, ju not just that they're shaped like pyramids, but they're trying to harness some, some kind of spiritual energy. Uh, well, they, it's, it's also the, the geometry of, of these pyramids that they that they make mm. because I've seen the just out of steel frame they, they make up the, the pyramid yeah. to the right ratios and they um, they say that there's an effect of whatever they put underneath this like you know a frame mm. or what it looks like just a basic a frame I mean you wouldn't you don't think about it because it's not part of the the collective consciousness that that's that's an energy that's possible but um, you know, there's several scientists that, you know, obviously there was an issue here with Wilhelm Reich because he went through quite a few court cases and, I mean, that could have been his political views as well. Right, during the he was 50s. a Marxist. Exactly. 
yeah, it wasn't a great time to be a Marxist. And he, so he lived in the United States, right? Yeah, you know, he, he yeah. moved um, not long after, or well, during the war, mm. you know, to be, more, to be more comfortable, but he continued with his, with his experiments because he actually comes from the, the school of, uh, well, they call it second generation psychoanalyst uh, um, down from Sigmund Freud. So, you know, from that school of thought. Hmm. So he was trying to somehow combine the ideas of Sigmund Freud and uh, Karl Marx. I don't know how they fit together, but somehow, <laughs> somehow they do. <laughs> um, well, yeah, he, um, he obviously saw a way. Otherwise, yeah. oh, oh, I don't know. I mean, this is just Wikipedia. I don't know how, I, I don't know how much I trust it. Yeah. So there's, pro there's probably more to that, but... Um, yeah, you you haven't researched the uh, the side of his political beliefs. You did more about the energy in his research. Yeah, well, that's what attracted my attention. Yeah. The uh, these organ pyramids, but it's interesting that during this time, he was also he was kicked out of the university that he was working with. Mm. All these books were all were all burnt or destroyed. Mm. There was a few students of his that saved a lot of his work, so now it's getting you know so it's being reprinted. But I mean, if you have all your work destroyed, you know, there's no credit given to you mm. at any of those times. But uh, I mean, I'm looking at this thing like, okay, so you can just using normal normal materials, you can build a box that you could possibly keep in a room of your house that could um, be a healing box nice. or heal you from all kinds of just aging or disease, and uh, you know extend your your life quality. Ten kilograms of resin and. 20 kilograms of iron filings and away you go <laughs> yeah, some, just a little bit of copper some steel wool a few planks of plywood and you're good to go he uh, he also made an um a, i guess a contraption he calls the cloud buster hmm. um, i might have told you about it it's similar resin copper filings steel filings a few crystals like that same pyramid material hmm. except it's in a bucket and it's got maybe these like five copper pipes, like hollow copper pipes that could be, you know, a couple meters tall. Um, and he, he describes this as you're able to put it, connect or have it connected to the ground, so it's earthed out. Mm. And it connects with the electromagnetic field of the planet and wow. actually draws in, like it pulls in these lines to make like, a, like an earth connection of, okay. this, of this energy because the electromagnetic field is like the construct of the, the life force energy of the planet. And okay, I mean, okay. you can go into the frequencies of all that and you know, what other experiments have done. But in this case, by pulling that in and earthing it out, it actually passes through the clouds and separates the clouds. And that's why it's called the cloud buster. So, you know, there's a bit of a movement. So is there any footage of that? Yeah, yeah, there's, there's YouTube footage. I mean, I don't know how credible it is because I mean you hold a camera up to a cloud and the cloud starts to move <laughs> it's like are you, are you, are you just moving the you camera put it or time-lapse photography and <laughs> yeah exactly it's kind of hard to but it's, it's actually like you see the clouds separating well the, the patterns that that some videos show you actually show holes in the cloud or the cloud parting mm. okay. so you know I mean there, there's some interesting food for thought there but I mean like I said I don't know how reliable you, mm. you can count that but the, the concept's cool because there's quite a big movement in Europe where they're setting up cloudbusters against like your, your chemtrail spraying. So there's a lot of people that are trying to bust that up. I mean, I don't know what, what use that would be because you're, the chemical's being released either way. It's like you're pushing it to the next guys, but... Yeah, well, that, that depends. I mean, I don't think anybody really knows why the chemtrails are there. I mean, we've, we've seen the effects of them ourselves in terms of... Uh, seeing the, the streaks across the sky and the the wispiness that that comes after that, uh, but if I mean if the if the intended effect is just something like getting it to make it rain, uh, then in that case the cloudbuster makes sense. It it's uh, you know it stops this artificial weather manipulation, but in, if if it's if the intent of the chemtrails is spraying chemicals like spraying fluoride or or uh, some kind of antidepressant to make people docile or they're really they're really saying that that's what it is uh, they say they say all kinds of things because uh, you know it's it's an unknown so uh there's so much speculation i think it's still interesting that people don't believe in it mm. 
It's like, well, I'm not sure how much I believe. I mean, I believe in it to the extent that there are these trails in the sky. Uh, I've heard a few, I've heard recordings of a few pilots saying, or a few, you know, experience, people with experience in the aviation industry that contrails, that is condensation trails, tend to disappear within a few seconds. And I've watched uh, commercial airliners myself, and I, I see that the, uh, the contrails tend to disappear after a few seconds, but these ones hang out for, uh, you know, at least 20 minutes before turning into these spider webby clouds. Yeah, they're always overhead. I mean, mm. like, I, I try not to look up anymore because I feel like if I stop looking at them, they're gonna disappear. Mm. I'm trying to uh, manifest them away. Because, but I, I don't really see the, you know, why would they, why would they be doing that? I, I just, I can't process that. I mean, I've heard there's like aluminum oxide or something and, you know, autism's on the rise. Uh, but it could be anything. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it is just a, some <laughs> kind of contrail. Vaccinations and everybody's getting vaccination, vaccinated for free. Hey, free vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some more of that. Yeah, take deep breaths. You're going to love it. <laughs> so we need to set up, we need to set up some cloud busters like here, here in Guadalajara. I need to outline my whole house in, you know, in organic uh, inorganic, organic material to build like a, an organic house. You want to build like a, a, an entire fence of cloud busters pointed directly up, and that way, whenever it's raining, you <laughs> you have the one spot in town. Where That's right. The, the rain just, just it just bounces away. And just take, no, but I mean, I, I need water for my pineapple, so that doesn't sound like a good idea. <laughs> yep. You need to divert the clouds so they only fall over a certain part of your house and then that's where you collect the rainwater. <laughs> well, the, the experiment that he had, water. he had this big like organ uh, base. He had tubes, he was running water through it. There was a big copper pipes. Um, the, there is pictures of this thing and it's kind of like, it looks like a big rail gun, but it's, it's a cloud buster. Mm. And yeah, he would go help farmers pull rain. Okay, so he could not only bust clouds, he could also attract clouds. Yeah, he could create clouds by, by strategically placing this gun at different angles. And I don't know, I guess he just kind of accumulated organ, positive okay. life in the sky. He would like direct the clouds, if, like herd the clouds into the right area. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's what I'm led to believe. Um, like I said, a lot of his material was, was just uh, destroyed. Mm. But... Um, there are there are examples of of organ houses where people have taken his his work and implemented that into the material of the walls of the house, mm. and it's uh, I mean it looks quite extensive, but people are doing it, mm. so that's interesting. I don't <laughs> yeah. know, I don't know how much you'd want to invest in that or what you know. Obviously, there's no studies about it, but it'd be, okay. cool. It'd be cool. So there's no there's no studies. Uh, no nobody's really, or you haven't yet seen any uh, anybody documenting what happened as a result of living in one of these houses? I haven't seen any cases, no. Okay. No, but I mean, I think this is only started looking for houses. I, th I had a brilliant idea. Let's make a house out of, let's make the organ accumulator the whole house. Yeah. Um, and then I looked in those houses, but I mean, I haven't looked for any research or any of these testimonials of people saying, you know, I'm 200 years <laughs> Two old. thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. Super cool. <laughs> Methuselah house. And, uh, and I'm, 200 years old. It's like, I haven't, I think you're pretty better to bet on sauerkraut. <laughs> All right. Does sauerkraut also remove heavy metals from your body? No, but I mean, it gives you a fighting chance. Okay. Cool. So, I mean, that's, that's basically the wrap up on, um, on this organic, um, organ energy. But, um, I mean, it, it opens up a whole new page of like, what is the energy and can it charge my iPhone? <laughs> or, uh, you know, can we, can we use this to actually protect ourselves from Fukushima that's wafting across over here? Mm. I don't know. I, I seem to think maybe, maybe we can. Maybe, maybe it should, it's going to be like a future thing that, you know, we have these, these uh, organ accumulating or organ changing machines in our houses mm. or in our gardens. I mean, you know, if, if it is, if they do exactly what they, what they do, because I mean, I've got some and I'm trying to have a look and see whether it's changing my plants. But um, I also put some near a vase of flowers and the flowers stayed good for like two weeks, but I, I don't have a control. 
Okay. So, I don't know, <laughs> maybe, right, so maybe, need to do that maybe flowers again. hang good, you know, maybe flowers are, stay like that for two weeks. I, mm. I don't know. I don't think they normally do. I think about a week is normal and then the, the petals start falling off. But then it's also a question of strength because mm. have you, like, in the, here in Guadalajara, people have, like, trays of these organ units and, and walk around and they, they get them and it's like, a, it's like a pyramid and they put it over your hand and you can feel... I mean, well, I mean, I, I can feel the change in my mm. hand, like just doing this. Mm. But if you had this, it's like it's it's like stronger. You can feel like the it's like there's an invisible weight. Right. So you uh, you can do a similar like if you get your your hands, put them together about about uh, seven centimeters apart, and start rotating it like this, rotating the the two palms together. Um, you can actually start to feel something in the middle of your palm, like a kind of energy, a kind of um, suction feeling, or yeah, an attractive yeah, it's, feeling. It's like a like a magnetic compression. Yeah, like when you put two um, two negatives together. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, these these pyramids and cloud busters and accumulators harness that that energy. They give you that strength. But um, I mean. He's, because his research was all based on originally the, the orgasm and you know, measuring this so to help you from you know, avoid mental illness, uh, a, lot of his, a lot of his papers were deemed as, you know, like the organ accumulator was called the crazy sex box and the sex pyramids. And, you know, he was, uh, he, the, I mean, the media didn't paint his, uh, his inventions very well. <laughs> cool. He's to the crazies. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Definitely ahead of his time. <laughs> Watch this again at the Paradise Paradox. Watch us on YouTube. Like us on Facebook. Watch us on YouTube. Like us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter and listen to us on iTunes or Pocket Casts. Welcome back to the Paradise Paradox. So we're talking about harnessing natural life force energy and mm. uh and utilizing that to fight sickness or to make plants stronger to help your food not go off like fresh vegetables and that kind of thing studies to come experiments to follow um but there seems to be a trend towards like uh free energy like harnessing this energy i know i made the joke about you know can i charge my iphone with it <laughs> well i did see a video the other day where a guy purports to um, chill uh, a watermelon to below zero, that is freezing temperatures using ice cold water, and he just finds a, a good cold spot on the watermelon and plugs his iPhone charger right in and it starts charging. I, I don't know if there's a bit of camera trickery. Uh, he was sh showing the cable in the view to, to try to prove that it wasn't uh, any, any kind of trickery there, but that was rather unusual, but it's kind of like a, a different version of the potato alarm clock. <laughs> but, was that yeah. real? I don't know. I, I, I haven't tried it. Next time I get a watermelon, <laughs> I might try it. Yeah, just plug your charger in. Let's see yeah. how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because, you know, it needs uh, about 220 volts to uh, get that much uh, electricity the potato battery thing I, I think it only you know it probably only produces 1.5 or something like that about as much as a regular battery interesting now well some some of these free energy i mean the majority of them are like uh, perpetual motion driven units yeah so uh, i mean whether they can i mean i've seen i've seen them with like magnets on each end and how they, you know they keep just ticking over Mm. and somehow pull an energy from that. But there mm. seems to be like a whole world of uh, electromagnetics that isn't really, you know, isn't really in the technology that we're using. Mm. Well, of course, a, a lot of people are skeptical of perpetual motion machines, and I understand why. I mean, is the, the, the laws of, or the, the laws, they call them the laws of thermodynamics. I don't know if they're, they're, they're laws or just, uh, you know, very strong rules of thumb <laughs> very strong habits of the universe as Rupert Sheldrake might say 
but of course, it, it has to be more than a perpetual motion machine if it's going to generate electricity. So making a perpetual motion machine is difficult enough, but then you have the task of actually harnessing a bit of that energy. If you harness a bit of that energy and it's, it's only continuing the level of motion, then it's going to slow down and, and you know, it'll eventually come to a stop and then, you know, no more energy. Uh, but you actually need to make something which is capable of speeding up. Uh, so somehow harnessing some, some type of energy, perhaps a, an energy which science doesn't yet understand and using that to create electricity. It appears that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, you, you do, you need to be able to control it to increase more energy mm. to be able to, to have, to be comfortable knowing that you're creating say five, 10% more, just mm. that little bit to, um, to make it worthwhile. Otherwise, yeah, it's going to, it's going to load it up yeah. and it's going to slow it down. No, and it's going to get, even if it's less than 1% extra, then it's, you know, it's still, for all intents and purposes, free energy. But a lot of skeptics would look at this phrase, free energy, and they'll play a kind of word game and say, well, it's impossible to have free energy because that means it's generating more than what you're putting in. Um, and that's, you know, according to these laws of thermodynamics, that's impossible. But <laughs> that's, that's really a silly thing to say because... Uh, the the thing is if you look at something like solar energy well solar energy is free energy i mean the uh it doesn't cost you anything to pick up sun rays all you need is some space and and a clear view of the sun so that's uh, to me that's that's free energy it's just a question of what types of free energy there are and where uh, and then the question will be if you know if energy can be extracted directly from the air like uh like ayn rand describes in uh atlas shrugged where john galt makes the the motor um <laughs> john galt stops a motor of the world or john galt make, makes a motor which can be powered by static electricity if something like that can exist the question is how how does it work <laughs> And a lot of people are working on this and, and tinkering in their backyards and putting up diagrams and, and uh, uh, schematics on the internet so people can make them for themselves. I think 3D printing is going to change all that mm. if someone cracks it and, yeah. and does create something that, I mean, solar energy, you pull in energy from a, from a source. But if you're able to make something where it's some manipulation of gravity and it's able mm. to turn something where it's going to be turning at, you know, 100 plus you know, a variable excess and you can harness that um, mm. and then they can print it and have it running in their house. That's going to be, that'll be a cool, a cool thing, a cool uh, access. Yeah. But um, I, I briefly mentioned the power cell because mm. there's companies that are putting together layers of, of atomic, uh, yeah, okay, the, the atomic level layers of material that, uh, from my basic research, it looked like something similar. Well, you know, they're not going to give out any secrets, but the materials could have been something like the organic and inorganic, you know, the primitive idea of, of putting together resin and, and filings, mm -hmm. but building that at a professional level. And there's, there's cases, well, I mean, there's companies that have these power cells and they, they're putting them on, on companies. I'll, uh, I'll include the link, the, the example that, that I've got, but. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like something I've never really heard of and in a, at a commercial level, but uh, they say there's you know, a few companies in the US that have invested in, in these big units. And, uh, and what it is, you're talking about banks of these layers of, of what looks like some kind of printed material on itself. Mm. And they've got them in boxes, like quite large boxes, say a few meters tall, you know, meters square. And they, they feed some kind of uh, crude, natural gas into these boxes and, the, and that's supposed to help the process of pulling the energy out of whatever these cells are doing, which could be the, the positive and negative door energy or mm. organ energy, which is life force energy or chi or prana. Ether. Ether. <laughs> uh, well, one case I found interesting was the case of Lutec. Lutec was an Australian company and they were getting a lot of press. I think this was about 10 years ago, maybe maybe a bit longer, 
10, 10 or 15 years. And they had purportedly created a device. It was a kind of generator and you could feed electricity into it and somehow using magnets, and uh, I, I think Graffiti was involved as well, somehow it would produce about 120% of the electricity that you put into it. So, uh, so of course, this is pretty controversial, and you know, a lot of uh, physicists jumped on it and said, this is nonsense, it's impossible, 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 which, you know, that's a, that's a, a phrase that we've heard many times <laughs> uh, through history. It doesn't necessarily mean that the, these guys actually did what they, um, what they claimed to do, but um, it doesn't necessarily um, invalidate it either. Um, so the thing was, they claimed that uh, they had many physicists uh, come in and, and look at the device and, and see how it worked and say, um, yes, this is genuine and this is actually completely uh, compliant with the laws of physics as we know uh, as we know them. Um, there's nothing unusual about it except that it's very ingenious. Then I looked at their website a few years ago and it's like, Lutec, currently under maintenance. We'll be right back. <laughs> It was like that for three or so years. Now I think it's disappeared completely. Um, but I think you can still use the Wayback Machine to to go back and look at what happened there. So they retired. Yeah. So, I mean, of course, this, this is going to inspire a lot of speculation. So people will say, ah, well, obviously they never had it in the first place. It was a bunch of nonsense vaporware. And that's the end of that story. But that's that just shuts down the, the the questioning right there then i mean you can say well maybe they got paid off by electricity companies maybe electricity companies bought these devices and now are using them in in their own structures and that way uh, they can keep charging so much for electricity but they've actually got a thousand of these things stacked and they're, <laughs> they're, they're making electricity so ridiculously cheaply that uh, that they're, they're basically making a killing or it's possible that these men just disappeared, if you know what I mean. You don't really want something like that in the market. Mm. I mean, if you had it, you'd keep it a secret. Mm. Like if, but then if they, if they didn't complete their mission, you'd think that someone that had that vision would be still trying to crack whatever, whatever the issue was that didn't make it work. Mm. But uh, I mean, I, I don't know if it was in reference to this machine, but these laws that you talk about. The laws like, of thermodynamics. Yeah, like, well, I mean, gravity, for example, is, it seems to be like a pretty standard law. Right. But, um, Rupert Sheldrake? Yeah. He, he's quite an, uh, he puts a good case forward that uh, maybe gravity is not, uh, well, it's not a standard unit and it doesn't stick to one measurement. I mean, of course, you can have different levels of gravity if you go to different planets and things like that, right? Mm. He actually presents the case that big G, the gravitational constant, is actually variable over time. And that's, that's actually been shown in, in the detections of big G, though uh, nobody really wants to admit it because it makes things a lot more complicated. <laughs> but what is big G? Is that just like Earth gravity, like one Earth no. gravity? No, no. Uh, big G is the gravitational constant. So it, it theoretically, I mean, according to modern f physics theory, uh, big G is, is a number that's going to be slotted into equations relating to gravity. And it's going to be constant regardless of the planet, regardless of where you are in the universe. Big G is still going to be in there. So you go to a different planet, it, it would be big G multiplied by whatever yeah whatever. multiplied by the, the meters per second per second of acceleration of gravity of that planet depending on the on whatever equation it was uh that that uh constant is going to need to be in there okay so if that constant isn't constant <laughs> um yep. what does it what exactly does that mean for any gravity relation well any gravity relation full stop like, does that, does that mean that um, in on some parts, well, I mean, I'm thinking this planet, but this is like complete space and time. Mm. 
Um, does that mean that the, that the movement of gravity or the, I mean, if the units changed, doesn't it mean everything's different? Yes. Yes. Doesn't it, that change means, everything? I would say that it means Newtonian physics holds a lot less than even we assumed it did since Einstein. Uh, of, co of course, when Einsteinian physics came out, uh, everybody had to update it and say, well, Newtonian physics holds, but only within certain parameters and, and so with, within certain conditions. And now it means that, well, maybe, yeah, maybe Newtonian physics doesn't really work that well. There's a, there's a whole other level to it. <laughs> So, yeah. okay, I mean, I'm still stumped on gravity not being a, a constant. How mm. are they able to measure that? Because I know, uh, I know Rupert Sheldrake mentions there's, there's a variance and then normally what they do is they get the, they add them all together and get the mean and the average and they go, you know, that's what it's going to be and they check yeah, every so year. Yeah, so his joke is he goes to the um, metrologist, the guy, uh, a guy whose profession is measuring things and looking at different measurements, and he, he's, he says, so is it possible that p people are actually fudging these results to get them to fit into what they expect? And the metrologist said, well, we don't like to use the word fudging. And Sheldrake says, well, what do you call it? And he says, intellectual phase locking. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's insane. <laughs> and what does that mean? They it just... means they fudge it. Yeah, it means they're, um, they're, they're fudging. They, um, they make a standard and they go... They'll throw out the results which are too too far off. And at least this is according to Sheldrake. I, I have never confirmed this with my own research. No, but it seems like it's plausible that they are subjective on what they want to record and what they don't want to record. Yeah, well, that's, that's a thing about science. Like a lot of... Uh, I, I have read some uh, studies where they've asked scientists questions and said, well, you know, if you expect something to happen, will you sometimes throw out a result or, you know, put in a little extra number here and there um, to, to make it as you expect to see, to, to make your paper a bit more convincing. And, you know, some high number of scientists, it was I, I don't know what what percentage it was exactly, but it was probably over fifty percent said yes. You know, occasionally I'll fudge it. <laughs> it seems like common practice. Mm. I mean, it, it appears that it's easy to do. Well, you know, they're only human. It takes a high high level of integrity to live up to the public public relations scheme that we've been given of science, that it's beyond human failings and that sort of thing. They do seem to lock it in pretty quick, as in, no, that's, that's impossible. That is what it is. And that's what the book says, mm. don't, don't question it. But I mean, I'm wondering what's actually happening to gravity for them to notice there's a change in it. Like what could be causing that change? Because I mean, obviously they thought it was a constant because for the longer part of time, it probably did appear to be constant. So they just lock mm. that in. But what, mm. could, what could be happening now to make that different? I'd take a guess. I mean, this is just off the top of my head and talking some probably complete nonsense, but I'd say... I'd say uh, That's with, why we're here. <laughs> the good stuff. So according to, the, to Einstein, uh, gravity can affect time and, and make kind of pockets in, in time. I would say that it would go, might go the other way as well and time could affect gravity. So if there's a kind of pocket in time, that would change gravity. It's just, just a wild guess. That's, that's exactly don't, don't what take. I, that's what I wanted to hear <laughs> yeah. because I do feel like time's speeding up. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm feeling like this, um, I've heard it being called or referred to as the quickening, <laughs> but, um, my experience here in Mexico is that everything seems to be fairly slow. Mm. Like time seems to be significantly slower here in Mexico than what it is in Australia. And I think that's a cultural thing as well, because people don't really care that much about time here. They don't place a high emphasis compared to, I mean, you were living in Sydney. Sydney is, is a place where they value time as a, as a commodity here. It's like, 
it's not even that. I don't know how you describe the Mexican no, concept of time. It's something very different. If our heart's electromagnetic and it communicates with the larger planet's electromagnetic sphere and the energy that travels on this network is like this organ energy or just life force energy, mm. then literally by, by feeling, by changing the way we feel about the situation, we're, we're choosing to interact with it on an electromagnetic level. That's allowing us to access different time streams, giving us access to higher levels of intake or you know, perception knowledge of the, of the moment. But then, I don't know. As, I mean, I guess if, if, that's, if that's true, then you know, our brain has a lot to play with it as well. <laughs> Cut. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Please right. tell me you followed that because <laughs> I, I don't know. You started it, man. You talking about gravity? I didn't. I didn't start it. It wasn't. Me. It wasn't me. You. I mean, you. Uh, yeah. And then after I said it, you were like, exactly. That's what I wanted you to say. You were trying to lead me down that path so you could yeah. talk that. So crazy. subconsciously, because I mean, this, we're, we're wrapping up an hour, and that's gone pretty quick. But I mean. That was my way of explaining that here in Mexico, you feel like everything's so relaxed and slow, but um, it's not. Like three months just disappear. And it's like, wait, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, we're going into April next week. Mm -hmm. It's like, we've been doing this podcast for three months and it doesn't seem like that long. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like every time we do a, a podcast, it's like the same unique experience and we're doing it again for the first time. We've been doing it for longer than three months. We're nearly four months into the year. And we started it uh, like before the end of the year. <laughs> so in, in reflection of our Mexican experience, do, mm. you, do you feel that, that anomaly between slow time and like fast quarter year? I don't know what to say to that. Do I feel the anomaly between fast time and slow quarter year? Yeah. Is that what you're asking me? Well, I mean, here in, in regard to here in Mexico, <laughs> because I mean, it does, it does feel slow. Like my days feel very slow. Like, you know, everyone's relaxed and it's just very casual and time doesn't exist. Yeah. Yet it's like the actual, the months seem to go past very quick. Mm. Like we're very occupied. There's always something in the movement something flowing okay i don't know i don't know maybe it's because i mean you're a lot busier than i am really so <laughs> uh i don't know if i'm operating on the same time stream is it <laughs> okay I, I i think we're individually we're all on different time <laughs> i actually believe that yeah we're all we're all in different time that's why i mean or is that just an excuse for me to turn up late everywhere <laughs> <laughs> I, that's part of it uh, most mexicans don't have that excuse they're just like here i am <laughs> so, yeah it's not even something that comes into their mind <laughs> yeah why apologize you know i'm here now <laughs> yeah so uh just to i feel like I'm, we feel like i i feel like we need to finish up that that free energy Thing. Have you come across okay. any examples well, I, that... I wanted to mention a couple of other cases. Subscribe on YouTube, iTunes and Pocket Casts. Follow us on Twitter at BattleAZ at TroubleBubble and show your support at donate.theparadiseparadox.com So another famous case of free energy or cheap energy was Stanley Myers, who is a fellow who drived a dune buggy around the United States, or not... Not, not around the United States, in a certain town in the United States. And uh, he, he was known as this guy driving this water-powered vehicle, and there was some press coverage about it. Um, he, he didn't make any bones about the fact that he was driving this water-powered vehicle. And then he died in mysterious circumstances. Um, I believe he was uh, thrown off a train. Oh, no, sorry. He fell off a train, uh, very drunk. Turned out later that he was a teetotaler. He didn't drink it at all. So that was a rather unusual circumstance. Um, he, 
the the reports were that he was told several times to to can it like drop this project um the the company said the petrol company said they'll, they'll buy it off him for you know several million dollars and he just perhaps too idealistic too or too naive to see what was coming and uh then disappeared that's that's the story um i'm not I'm not entirely sure how much of that is accurate, but there's definitely some old news reports where you can see him driving this vehicle, which purportedly ran on nothing but water. Um, those those vehicle vehicle type experiments of of like uh, alternative energy, hmm. uh, although there's there's a handful of them and you know different experiments and things, it seems to be like this uh, this monopoly on energy to do with like gasoline, petroleum. Um, on these machines that are like 100, what, like 100 plus years old, like this technology mm. we're using. Mm. And I mean, I, I know there's several um, patents that, that could just get bought up. I mean, it seems to be common, like pretty common collective knowledge that there's pretty, uh, there's pretty better ways of doing it, but they're bought and stored away. Yeah, well, you know, think, things happen like in the United States, the, the car manufacturers had, had had an oligopoly for the longest time like it's it's difficult to just start a car manufacturing business in your backyard and not just because of the capital required for uh, for manufacturing but also because of the regulatory boundaries uh the regulatory barriers to entry and that that meant that um, the car industry was in the state of regulatory capture as a consequence you get perverse things happening like instead of the uh, fuel efficiency increasing over time it actually goes down over time cars get less and less efficient use more energy to do the same thing over the years that's a problem um you know these cars should be getting better uh, another case was the, the case of steve ryan who's a fellow from new zealand and he purportedly uh, every every year in Australia, I believe it's every year, they have a solar challenge to drive from the Great Australian Bight. Yes, they they go from Adelaide to Darwin, like right. pretty, pretty much so like the Gulf, the, of, the Gulf of Carpentaria, and and uh, so every year they have this solar challenge, and people come from all over the world to compete and and have have some good times driving solar vehicle, solar powered vehicles. Steve Bryan competed in the alternative category so he wasn't working with something solar powered but what he had was a troopy powered half by water and half by waste oil so he had a i believe a special process which he applied to the oil uh, to to make it usable in this uh, modified troopy and yeah, I've seen some some footage of him driving this vehicle. I mean, there's no way to, for me to confirm it with, without having been there. But uh, yeah, the the idea was he was traveling this very long distance. Uh, the car broke down a few times, but they got they got it back on the road, and and uh, yeah, you know, they made it all the way. Um, then uh, a, f a few years after that, he claimed to have de developed this. Uh, this motorcycle which ran on nothing but water um and there is a actually there is a, a video where he confirms for some independent witness that his motorcycle is running on half half and half like waste oil and and uh water um and then there's a video news videos about him talking about the the motorcycle running on water and uh, again go to go to his website and and it came up for years well you know currently under maintenance we'll be right back you can go on the wayback machine uh the the internet time travel device and, and look back at his site as it was at uh, five or ten years ago and see what kind of products they had and what they were talking about when, yeah. when i when i jumped talking about cars because i know using alternative fuels or, or modifying the engines and, and the mm. process that we have at the moment to like some kind of like I guess a crude biodiesel or I mean you know hear cases about using vegetable oil mm. or you know recycled oils yep um, I, I sometimes I mean just in general conversation I, I get picked on saying you know why would you want to do that when there's so many other cleaner ways again 
Mm. But I mean, I, I'm looking at it from a, what can we supply or what's like a, a stepping over process? Because I mean, looking at a lot of these uh, emerging economies where the, the middle class want to go out and buy a vehicle mm. and to go out and buy one of these, you know, I, what like, you know, I drive um, with the new BMW range, like the eco ones that are all like, um, I don't know, I BMW, I'm not sure what they're called or even like these electric cars. I mean, who's got the money to go and buy a brand new, a brand new car at the brand new car price? Mm. Where I think if we were able to, to offer some kind of alternative fuel where we could separate ourselves from the, I guess the economy that goes with the, with the traditional fuels that we're dealing with now, that could buy us time or to start investing more money into, into these sort of projects where we can look at perhaps getting, you know, some kind of combination of water and you know, waste fuels and, uh, and moving that technology to become more accessible to the, to the public. But I mean, how, how could you, is there, is there a mix? I mean, I don't know how much research has gone into this or how much is available, but is it, is it a water and, and oil mix that he's using? Like, is it a traditional combustion kind of engine or are we talking something completely out of this world? It, it was a water oil mix and then eventually he moved to, to just straight water. That's the claim, anyway. Because I think this kind of technology is probably more disruptive than, than mm. a whole out, a straight out, you know, more efficient electric engine. Yes. Because you can't just put in an electric engine. Mm. But if you can phase out fuel and, uh, and start giving some kind of, um, I guess, that economic value towards a new technology, that, that changes the, the, the fundamental need to, to keep up this uh, petrodollar system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of people out there who have a lot of vested interests like shahs and princes in, in, in Arabic countries and powerful shareholders of, of um, oil companies and, and they'll do what they can to suppress this technology. And at least that's how it seems. Uh, like you, you can watch the movie Who Killed the Electric Car? Because, uh, uh, yeah, about I think it was about 10 years ago no, it might have been longer. It might have been 20 years ago when uh, one of the first popular electric cars started to come out and, and uh, uh, a few celebrities bought them on pre-order and, and Tom Hanks had one and he was like, yep, this is great. Uh, but then they, they pulled them all in and they discontinued them. Why? They were going so well. Uh, and that's what that movie describes. There are powerful interests who work against these things, whether they're willing to kill people. I, I don't know if there, there's any way we can say that for sure. But, you know, people are going to try to protect their own interests. That's that definitely true. Money makes people crazy. And if, uh, and if they're getting rich off something, then mm. of, of course, you know, they're, they're, I, don't, I don't think in that case they would be um, maybe 100% responsible for their actions if they wanted to keep up that lifestyle. <laughs> what do you mean? You were saying money is a drug that makes people incapable of free will or rendering, uh, like if, if they get tried in court, they go, they're going to use the affluenza defense. Like I was insane on account of my bank account. <laughs> yeah, I was addicted to spending money and keeping up my, my lavish lifestyle. So, you know, um, I plead not guilty to executing, you know, 20 of our finest scientists of all time <laughs> and, uh, and also buying out and hiding their inventions. Not guilty, I was crazy. <laughs> crazy, crazy in love with those doll hairs. <laughs> doll hairs, what? Uh, it's a Dumb and Dumber 2 reference uh cool so that about wraps up every stupid idea that we have to say about free energy cheap energy all gone energy and all that crap so my name's kurt robinson my name's aaron battle press like press subscribe press comment on youtube and press like on facebook press get notifications button so you know when we say something cool and <laughs> follow us on twitter i'm at trouble bubble at battle az yep um subscribe on itunes and subscribe on pocket casts just be connected yeah that's all we ask for your sake
Not, not ours. <laughs> We're doing you a huge favor. All right. Peace. Wash, hush, and gone.